I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. From MCIE. Neurodiversity and podcasting, two of my very favorite topics. My name is Tim Viegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you are listening to Think Inclusive, a show where with every conversation we try to build bridges between families, educators, and disability rights advocates to create a shared understanding of inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. You can learn more about who we are and what we do at mcie.org. On this episode of Think Inclusive, I speak with Carolyn Keel who is an experienced instructional designer of employee training programs. On her podcast, Beyond Six Seconds, she features neurodivergent and disabled entrepreneurs, creatives, and advocates who shatter misconceptions, break stigma, and showcase the vibrance and diversity of these communities. Here's what I cover with Carolyn Keel in this episode. The meaning behind the title of her podcast, Beyond Six Seconds, and why she made the leap into podcasting five years ago. What it has been like to be diagnosed with autism later in life, and what she hopes educators learn by listening to neurodivergent people. Before we get into today's interview, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Together Letters. Are you losing touch with people in your life, but you don't want to be on social media all the time? Together Letters is a tool that can help. It's a group email newsletter that asks its members for updates and combines them into a single newsletter for everyone. All you need is email. We are using Together Letters so Think Inclusive patrons can keep in touch with each other. Groups of 10 or less are free, and you can sign up right now at togetherletters.com. Thank you so much for listening, and now my interview with Carolyn Keel. Carolyn, welcome. Hi, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Beyond Six Seconds is a podcast that I've been hosting for about five years now at this point. Um, I talk with neurodivergent and disabled entrepreneurs, 
content creators, advocates, and, and more about their lives and identities, and really just try to provide a balanced and full picture of what it's like to be neurodivergent or disabled. The meaning of the name Beyond Six Seconds, I got that from a study by one of those career sites years ago, and it's a statistic that gets kind of tossed around, and I don't know how true it is, but it's a statistic that says that recruiters only look at your resume for about six seconds before they make a judgment on your experience and whether or not you're a fit for a particular role they're looking for. So I took that and, uh, again, not sure how true that is, but I thought it would be a good basis for a name of a podcast. So I said, we'll go beyond those six seconds because I wanted my platform to provide more time for people to share their stories. So when I originally started five years ago, I was not focusing on neurodiversity or disability specifically at that time. I was interviewing some of my friends that I had on social media and some other people who I knew in my personal life about some of the really interesting projects or jobs or other interests, hobbies that they had, because I wanted to give them a platform for talking about a lot of the cool things that they were doing because they weren't out like on social media talking about it a lot. So it's that concept of you may pass someone in the hallway or just know someone as an acquaintance and not realize just how, you know, what they've achieved in their lives or even kind of the cool things that they're involved in at at that time. So some of the first people I interviewed were, you know, some people who were working with drone technology and my friend who went to an orphanage and helped fund and found a music program in India and, and other things like that um, really I found were very interesting and just don't really make it into like that 30 second little soundbite that, that we're so often pressured to share when we're, when we're talking on social media or presenting to a group. So um, yeah, and I decided to switch about a year ago, it was the beginning of 2022, to focusing on neurodiversity and, um, and disability um, after um, have discovering that I am neurodivergent myself. And I can talk more about that story a little later about how that all came about. You know, since then, for the past year or so, I've been focusing mainly on neurodiversity because I found that I, as I learned about what neurodiversity was, I realized that I was only really hearing stories about this, never from neurodivergent people themselves. It was always other like third-party resources or experts or people writing about it. And the same with disability as well. Um, but I was never really hearing the stories of people who were living with those conditions or when all the intersections of um, those conditions intersect with our other identities as well. So that was something uh, I wanted to broaden that those types of stories and and bring them to the forefront and hear from directly from people who were like directly impacted by them. So um, that's why I pivoted the podcast about a year ago. I think that's so important to hear from neurodivergent people themselves. I my history is a, a as a special education teacher, and when I first started in the field, all I learned about disability was from books. Yeah, and from other quote unquote experts, but they more often than not did not have a disability. So mm -hmm. 
I, like you, when I started to hear the stories from neurodivergent people, I was like, oh, they, oh these are the, like, the real experts. You have beyond six seconds and you're telling other people's stories, but what is the story about you that you want to tell? Sure. So I guess I can tell my podcasting related story since we're talking about the podcast. So my story is that I started podcasting in, I would say, late 2017. The podcast itself launched in January 2018. But I had been working towards the end of 2017 to get it set up. And the reason I chose podcasting is because I was looking for a creative outlet for myself at that time. So before that, I was a singer. And I'm still a singer. I'm not actively singing in any groups at the moment. But I was in an acapella singing group that was based in New York City. And I would go down and go down there for rehearsals after work. And we did a lot of really great performances around like the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. And at the time, I wound up, well, the group kind of sort of like everyone wound up moving out of the city, basically. So we weren't meeting as often at that time. And around 2017, I started a new job, which was much further away from New York City. So it was harder for me to get in and out to rehearsals. So I kind of was taking a break from the singing group. But I really missed that creativity and, you know, just the ability to create something new. And I said, you know, I really want to have something that's kind of, quote unquote, my own, that I have creative control and direction over. And I had started listening to podcasts maybe about a couple of months before that. So I knew a little bit about what they were. And I thought, you know, I've been I've been in this singing group, so I know a little bit about like microphones. I know a little bit about audio recording. And maybe I could close that gap. Like I'm partially there with the technology. So maybe I could just learn like a little bit more to get myself ramped up and I could try out doing a podcast and just see what that sounds like. And um, I said, you know, I'll interview my friends, like some of the people that I was talking about before. And I'll ask them about like the things that they're really passionate about, because it's usually pretty easy to get people to talk about things that they're excited and proud of. So yeah, I'm like, I'll try it out and I'll see what happens. And I'll see if I um how good of an interviewer I am. Because I was not, I was not an interviewer at that point. I had never really done that before. And I'm actually a very shy and introverted person. So I'm like, I don't even know if I could do this, but let's try it out. Like one-on-one -on -one conversations, let's give it a try. So I recorded a few episodes in towards the end of 2017, got those ready and launched. And from there, I just started getting listeners and a, a lot of people being interested in being on the show. So it was a lot of either people who had listened to previous episodes or friends of my former guests who were getting referred over. And um, yeah, for the first four years or so, it was just guided by, do I have an intrinsic interest in the type of story that this person is telling? And do I want to bring them on to the platform and talk more about what their stories are? So that's kind of where I was for a couple of years. And then, you know, around 2020, we went to the pandemic. I was already podcasting by then. I know a lot of people started around this time, but it's like, well, I'll just keep podcasting. And, you know, maybe I'll get different guests now because everybody's kind of stuck at home. So I actually got some like 
quote unquote celebrity guests for me, like big dream guests, because like normally they'd be out like promoting their book or doing live shows, but then they were home. So it's like, oh, quick, I'll get a couple people there to interview. So that was fun. And then as things went on with the pandemic around the beginning of 2021, I started to feel like a lot of stress just related to different areas of my life and just started to feel really kind of not myself, but like really just like not, I don't know, like kind of losing my steam and enthusiasm. And I'm sure a lot of people can probably relate to that being a part of the pandemic. And around that time, I was, I was thinking, like thinking back into how I was trying to cope with things during the pandemic and how I had coped with things previously in childhood. And around that time, and I don't know, it was probably because I had interviewed a couple of disabled content creators before that for episodes, just because I, I thought their stories were really interesting. And you know how on social media, particularly Instagram at that time, the algorithm is pretty good or was at that time before. Now everything is like sponsored content. But before that, if you're looking at disability content and looking at the hashtags, it just presents more in your feed about like, how about this creator? How about this creator? And I wound up wandering into the hashtag actually autistic community at that point, connected with one autistic content creator, had him as a guest on my show in April 2021, and just kept following the community from there and started to realize how familiar a lot of these experiences felt that that the autistic content creators, the community was talking about. So I started reading blogs, watching YouTube videos about it, and I was reading a lot of things, but I felt that a lot of things that resonated with me, but at the same time, I'm like, well, this does explain a lot of my experience, but I'm still not really sure because it's almost like anything that I read could be explained by something else. Like, oh, maybe that's just anxiety, or maybe that's just you're really shy, or maybe you're just like a quiet person, or maybe you're just really sensitive. And But the more I read about how particularly women or people assigned female at birth in the late diagnosis tend to identify as autistic and hearing all of the it's like all of the stops you make like in the pipeline before you get to autistic like highly sensitive person and like all these other things it's like oh well a lot of times that person's actually autistic so i wound up actually pursuing a diagnosis late in 2021 it was just a decision i made the actually autistic community absolutely accepts self diagnosis because there are so many challenges with a lot of people being able to get diagnosed but I was lucky and privileged enough to be able to get access to someone who was able to assess adult autistic women for autism and um, went through that and um, wound up getting a diagnosis of, um, of autism. So that was, it was interesting. And that was almost at this point, almost a year ago. So I'm still trying to kind of process what that means for me. Like, I don't know that it's changed my day-to-day life so much. Like I, I guess it's helped me be a little kinder to myself when I'm frustrated about kind of going into sensory overload or doing a lot of stimming behavior, which is kind of like self, sort of like, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know, like right now, I know you can't see, but I have like a little, oh. <laughs> like, little squeezy part I know, that I do. I didn't which see helps it. Me, like, <laughs> a little, 
You see, I'm holding up this like orange little like rubber ring that uses like a squeeze thing. So right, yeah. you've seen fidget toys. That's sort of like we call a stim toy, like the little things that spin, the little fidget spinners, and there's other things as well. So just using, just exploring more of those, and yeah, so it's been interesting. And so I decided at that point that I wanted to learn more about neurodiversity, not just autism, although of course my my podcast tends to lean towards. Mostly autistic guests at this point, but I'm definitely branching out. And it's in the first year I've talked with people, I've learned about like what dyspraxia is, which I think in the United States is more often known as developmental coordination disorder. In the UK, it's more called dyspraxia, dyslexia. I've talked to people with ADHD and someone in the UK with auditory processing disorder. I just did an interview a couple of weeks ago with someone with Down syndrome. Like, I'm really just so interested in hearing about people's experiences because, again, my own views and understanding of what autism was, like, when I was in school, it was like the 1980s, 1990s, and we, like, literally, I'm shocked at how, like, little we knew. Like, it was kind of like we knew what Rain Man was, and that's it. Like, there was no other concept of what autism was. And meanwhile, you've got all these people who are like late diagnosed, just kind of like walking around trying to figure their lives out. It's like, yeah, well, this is autism is like way much broader than what I ever learned in a textbook. And as you read in my bio, I have like two psychology degrees. And the amount of time we spent on autism or ADHD or any neurodivergent conditions was like nothing, like almost nothing. So I had to kind of do all this self-study. So I'm glad I discovered a lot of the stories of people who are you know, who have these conditions and it's part of their identity because, yeah, otherwise you just kind of get your, you get your information from either the loudest person on social media or whoever comes out and brands himself as an expert on XYZ. And um, yeah, that's not always uh, the full picture there. So it's a strange time to live right now. You have, like, I, I grew up in the 90s pre internet. And so where you got your information, the gatekeepers were pretty, pretty strict. And now anyone can put anything out there. Anyone can have a podcast. Anyone can have a YouTube channel. So in one sense, it's great because you have access to information. On the other hand, it's not so great because there's so much misinformation, especially about disability and autism and specifically. I re I'm reminded of... Something you said reminded me of that um, Steve Silberman has this great TED Talk called The Forgotten History of Autism. Have you seen that? I haven't, no. Are you familiar with Steve Silberman? I am. It's, one, it's a video. It's like 12 or 13 minutes long. I show it to a lot of teachers because part of my job is... Um, is, you know, the podcast and social media and writing and stuff like that. But sometimes I'm, I'm involved with the training of educators. And so I showed that video and he talked about, he talks a lot about the mis, the misdiagnosis or the, the non-diagnosed people who are female or female who assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. And it's striking. It's very striking. So as a podcaster, I started Think Inclusive in 2012, mm -hmm. and it was a side gig. So I had my day job. I was teaching, and I'm very fortunate for it to be part of my job now. But that was eight years later. And 
So I'm wondering with your podcast, I know you started five years ago. It, in your bio, you talked about it. You have a day job, right? So what is your dream for the podcast? Like, would you, would you ever want to like be a podcaster? Like that, that be your job or are you satisfied with having it be a side thing or? It's interesting because recently at my job and like very recently, I might actually be doing a little bit of podcasting as part of my job, not as my full job. It's something that we literally just started talking about a couple of weeks ago. That's exciting, but it's also given me a flavor of like what it's like to do a podcast that's like related to a job versus my own podcast where I, I can almost do like anything I want, anytime I want. And I'm fortunate with the job that I'm given like a lot of creative freedom around that as well. But so at the moment between my podcast, Beyond Six Seconds, and the work I'm doing during my day job, it's a lot of podcasting. So I'm thinking like, I don't know if I would. I mean, I never say never, but I'm not like 100% sure that I would want to do podcasting, like purely podcasting as my full-time day job. I mean, who knows? I might change my mind in another year or two. But I tend to be a person who likes to do a lot of different things or have at least some variety in my day job, which I fortunately do right now, which is great. So it's I design training for a large corporation. So it's different kinds of training, different audiences, different topics. So it's a nice variety of things there. But in terms of a dream or what I would want for a goal for beyond six seconds, I don't know. I'm just trying to. It's only been a year that I've been focusing on neurodiversity. And there are a lot of really good neurodiversity podcasts out there already. So I'd love to be, at this point, just considered one of the top neurodiversity podcasts. I don't know if that is in terms of downloads and streams or if it's just being known as for the podcast being known. And it's a little strange because I'm not looking to be like an influencer around neurodiversity. Like, despite being in my mid 40s, I'm still very new to knowing that I'm autistic. So I don't even feel like an expert on autism at all because I, I know my experience, but I can't really speak to other people's experiences, which is why I have a platform where I'm just interested to learn and share. So, I mean, I guess the type of advocacy that I'm doing with the podcast is just trying to share and elevate voices and, you know, kind of break break stereotypes and, and just educate people in a welcoming and and safe feeling way to learn more about, you know, people who are, um, you know, neurodivergent, um, all different types of conditions. I recently applied for an award. I got nominated for it, but I didn't quite win it. But I'm, I think I would like to win something like that. Again, just to get more exposure for the podcast. I mean, I don't really need to be like some big popular influencer in this in this area, but I really would love people to discover the podcast and just either learn about different conditions or feel validated and feel seen if if their experience resonates with my guests, even if they just feel less alone. I've gotten some good feedback from it so far about people who, you know, people who have had their minds changed about certain conditions, which for me is important. I think that's the best impact that I could have. So if I could just reach more people and change, open more people's minds, I think that would be exciting. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. I absolutely agree with changing people's minds that I believe that podcasts do change people's minds. And so I'm so happy to support the work that you're doing in Beyond Six Seconds and other creators. I think it, when we support each other, um, we're just growing this growing this industry more and more. How, you know, at, at whatever point we're at in it, you know, mm -hmm. whether we're a hobbyist, it's part of our job. If it's that's all we do every day, all day. So I'm very happy to introduce you to our audience. And so our audience is you know, mostly educators. We do have some family members who have children with disabilities. We certainly have disability rights advocates and disabled creators that listen. But our audience is really teachers. So as you think about our audience, and think about your experience in school. You said that you came to a diagnosis later in life. So what message would you really want to leave with educators now that you know you have their ear? I mean, kind of hearkening back to something that you said earlier about from people like people with disabilities, people who are neurodivergent, I would say that if you as an educator, if you work with neurodivergent students, definitely take some time to listen to neurodivergent voices. And that could be on blogs, on social media, in real life. I think a lot of the frustration that I hear from particularly the autistic community online, because that's where I tend to spend the most time, is that there are a lot of, uh, there's unfortunately often some tension between autistic adults and parents of autistic children and just not realizing that the two could really benefit from these other each other's experiences. And especially because a lot of people, and I especially with autism and in a way with ADHD and maybe other learning disabilities as well, there's a concept of, well, you it's like only children have it. And for some reason people think that once you turn 18 or 21, like it goes away and like all the adults disappear. But it's definitely not that at all. It really is a lifelong condition. And now I get to hear from the adults who like talk about what it was like for them in school like decades ago and how great it was when they had the right support and how incredibly challenging it was when they were misunderstood and didn't have the supports they needed or weren't listened to. So I think that educators really have an incredible opportunity to be able to support these students. And a lot of times, a lot of those clues come in from listening to autistic or other neurodivergent adults who have lived through that experience and can say like, this is what it's really, this is what it feels like 
because a lot of times there's so much going on inside that a lot of times autism and other neurodivergencies are judged by behaviors or what it looks like as opposed to like really what it feels like for the students. And it's a lot of times behavior, like for example, different behaviors might be seen as being stubborn or being disobedient when it's really like a sensory overload or the person, they want to listen, but they just can't or whatever it is. So I feel like autistic adults can provide a lot of that information. And another challenge is a lot of kids and certainly many adults don't even know that they're neurodivergent. Like I didn't know. I was just kind of coping the best that that I can. And there's so many other people like me. So you may also have students who don't have a diagnosis yet, or you kind of realize that there's something and they're trying to get a diagnosis or there might be some other issues. So I would just say definitely learn as much as you can and, and pick some great autistic or neurodivergent content creators to to listen to, some blogs to subscribe to, maybe some YouTube channels or other podcasts and, um, you know, just sort of learn from people's experiences. Like everybody has their own unique experience with it, but even just hearing a few kind of might give you some, like a a broader understanding of what it's really like for kids to be, um, you know, to be living as neurodivergent. So, yeah. Looking back on your school experience, did you feel like you were supported so my school experience was interesting because I, I went to a public school. It was a pretty small public school. Like my graduating class in high school was like 85 students. So it was pretty small. And we were mostly together with the same kids for the most part, like K through 12. So it was kind of a new, unique experience with there. And I was actually, I spent most of my time in what then was called the gifted and talented program. I don't know what it's called now. I think things have probably shifted since then. I'm sure there's some sort of gifted program, but I don't know. But that's what they called it, gifted and talented. So I tended to be, I was track, you know, I was on the track from like fourth grade through like all the way through graduating high school with the same sort of small group of like 20 or so kids in like all the advanced classes, or I was like the year ahead taking it as a junior, taking stuff with the seniors, things like that. Because I was also at the same time a gifted student. And there was no concept of like a 2E or twice exceptional student at that time. It, that just didn't exist. So, you know, you're either, you're either in like the gifted program, you're in like the general education, or like you're in special education. And that's kind of like all the options that we had where I was at that time. And so I didn't, I got along just fine with all the students that I was, you know, in the class with, but, you know, never really had like deep connections or friendships with any of them. I did have a small group of friends who were not in my immediate classes that we spent time with. And I was also a competitive musician at the same time. So I think I was very lucky in that sense to find like another group that was school related, but uh, related to a deep interest that I had. I mentioned I was a singer. I also used to play saxophone for many years through school. So a lot of my extracurricular activities were very much focused on music. So that, I felt pretty supported. Like I had found my communities and I think I was very lucky to be able to do that. And, but, you know, but still I was like, even in groups, like I had a very like tight group of friends, but, you know, once like I actually, looking back and, you know, no, no one ever like really called me on it very much, but I, I spoke very little 
if I'm one-on-one, like now I'm like talking up a storm, but if, if you add a third person to this conversation, I'll be quiet because I literally don't know like, how to, like when is it my turn to talk? And apparently this is an autistic trait that's somewhat common because it's, it's hard to find like that space in the conversation without either interrupting or in my case, like just never joining, like just sitting there and, and listening. So, um, which is, I didn't even think that is too unusual because no one really called me on it so much. I was always very shy, always very quiet. Um, and there's, you know, I guess some shy kids, it's like, well, once you come out of your shell, then they're like talkative. It's like, I never really came out of my shell very often. <laughs> it's like I was always kind of in there. So that was, I guess, one clue. But again, not anything that like impacted my education too much. Like I could do presentations. Most of the grading was on like writing and individual projects. So again, I was lucky to not be put in a lot of things like group projects or lots of presentations at that time. And physical education was like a disaster for me or gym class at that point, which again is another autistic thing. It's just very uncoordinated, no matter what kind of practice I did. Um, that just extends even beyond gym class, just in general. But so that was my school experience there. I had some struggles in high school where I kind of had a period of what I call like a, a deep depression that took a while. It, it kind of colored my experiences and my social relationships through a good part of high school and um, into the very beginning of college. But then college, school and college were actually, I really, I liked the structure and I liked being able to learn new things. So I was kind of fortunate in that way to find a good college. Like Vassar is great. It's it, just a whole variety of people there and great academics and just really great communities there. So I was lucky to wind up in the places where I did. So yeah, so my schooling experience, I feel like is kind of unusual maybe for an autistic student because I was in the gifted program at the same time. Um, and I know sometimes people consider giftedness as a neurodiversity in itself. I think it's kind of odd because some, sometimes I also read on Twitter that a lot of autistic and ADHD students wind up in the gifted program because they're, they're also very they're very smart and a lot of times they'll be supported in that way but not in other ways and sometimes once you get out of school that's when some of the challenges related to autism and ADHD might arise yeah so school wasn't as much of a struggle as it has been for some of my guests that I've talked to about it so yeah but it was kind of a unique experience for me it sounds like you really experienced belonging in in you know in various forms of wherever you were so you had a community in each of those those steps right high school and in college yeah that's true yeah and i think the one time where i was having a, a big struggle with depression was a time that i was not experiencing belonging so that's kind of interesting but yeah and it's it was really good to have a place where i was in a community so maybe i wasn't like I wouldn't necessarily make like go into a have a community and make like super tight best friends or good friends. It was just sort of, you know, you're friendly with people when you're there. And then when, you know, when the play is over, you know, the school play is over or whatever, you know, the community comes to like a natural end, then like I guess some people stay in touch, but I wouldn't stay in touch necessarily with too many other people from there. So yeah. So I tend to have right now like a few really 
close good friends, but you know, not a huge, not a huge group of really tight friends. But but I don't know. That's just how my social situations wound up, and and I'm still really grateful to have a couple of really good friends. Uh, is inclusion something that you cover in um, any topics with your guests, or is that something that you spend a lot of time thinking about? I'm just wondering if that's if that's something that you consider. I'm not even sure how you would define that. Yeah, I was thinking about this because, yeah, I don't know if it's something I've done like a deep dive into in any of my episodes, even before I started talking about neurodiversity. But it is something I think about. And what would it mean? I mean, there's that popular phrase that often gets used to describe the difference between diversity and inclusion is diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. And I'm trying to dig into that and like, well, is that how I would describe it? And for me, and I guess I've learned this a lot from just having a podcast where I get to hear a lot of people's stories. For me, I think inclusion really starts with like listening to people, like really listening to people's experiences and believing people's lived experiences. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot more lately about the concept of accommodations. So there's like the legal sense of like what the law says accommodations have to be provided. I think about it in a corporate setting because that's where I work. But beyond that, it's like in terms of being, you know, accommodating and including to people, it's, you know, just not making assumptions about people's lived experiences and kind of seeking out and having the right people in the conversation, whether you're talking about like developing a new product or even just having an accessible, you know, whether it's accessible classroom or an accessible workplace. I think a lot of people still, even with the best of intentions, and I tend to talk more about it in the corporate world because that's where I I see it and I, I live most often. You know, we'll we'll really want to be accommodating and we'll think about like, well, what can I do for this person? And it doesn't always occur to them to ask the person like what they need. And I think that a lot of times is the first step. And I've talked to people in the workplace who have asked to as basic things like, I I really need to wear like noise canceling headphones or I need to be in a quiet place for part of the day so that I can function and work and focus. And but that's not always, people aren't always open to that. And it just seems like kind of simple things to to provide for people. But again, that wouldn't help everybody and it's different for every job. So I feel like inclusion is, it really starts with just listening and asking, genuinely asking for that feedback and inf- input from a variety of different people. And then really giving people the opportunity to provide that freely, like without retribution, without feeling like they're going to suffer as a result of sharing something or bringing something up. Yeah, for me, it's like about hearing a lot of people's voices and, and not, but not just hearing them, like literally integrating what people are, the input that people are providing to make, whether you're developing a stronger product or just making a better place for people to live and learn and work. I like how you put that with the listening, but also listening without judgment, because mm-hmm. it just occurred to me, I'm not sure if th- this word fits, but I think 
part of inclusion is trust. And it's not even about like trying to create a safe space. If I disclose something to you, if you if we're coworkers mm-hmm. or even my boss, and I say, I really need this, I really need this accommodation, how you respond to me is going to either develop our trust and help me feel like I can really be who I am or not. The way that you respond or the way that we respond to our coworkers. So I didn't really put it together. Like, I like how you put that because it, it's really easy, especially in this virtual world when we're working remotely to, to misread other people. And as I think about accommodations and people like me who, you know, are late diagnosed, a lot of people may want or need accommodations and they don't, I don't want to say they don't really know why. Like they don't know that they're disabled. They don't know that they're neurodivergent, but it should still, the a company isn't like legally obligated to provide it, but like, why wouldn't you? Like if it's something simple, like why do you necessarily need to have like a medical diagnosis of something to get a simple accommodation? Like it really should be open to anyone, I think. That's my opinion. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to make sure that we covered? I think the only other thing that I wanted to mention, just I guess going back to what advice would I give educators? And this, again, doesn't come from my own personal experience growing up, but from other people who I've interviewed on the show, is I've had the... I've had the privilege to interview one of my guests, Noah Seaback, who is a non-speaking autistic self-advocate. And he's um he's young. He's in his like, I think he's in his mid-20s at this point. So he talks he talk he didn't learn how to communicate for a variety of reasons. He he spells on a letter board. That's how he communicates, but he is non-speaking. So he went through much of his education being treated, like essentially being treated like a first rater. Like just people assuming that because he couldn't reliably, because he couldn't talk and he couldn't reliably communicate at that time, they just assumed that he was intellectually, I guess, basically incompetent, as he would describe it. And it was frustrating because if you talk to him now, it's amazing. He's like, it's like, I don't even know how he learned all that being taught like over and over again, just like the same like first grade material. Like it's quite amazing. And, um, and just, the depth of thought and the way that he writes and the and the way that he advocates and and mentors other non-speakers. So my point is that and that was eye-opening for me because I had never had a conversation with a non-speaking person before. And um a lot of the experiences that he shared and other non-speaking autistic people that I've learned about and heard from on social media is that it's so important to presume competence no matter who you are, certainly as an educator you know, as parents, as just family members and just people in general, to not judge someone who kind of, Noah would say that sometimes he doesn't look like he's all there because he also has apraxia, which means he doesn't have reliable like control over his body movements, which makes it really challenging for him to communicate in that way as well. But the important part was 
all non-speaking autistics who are advocating in the social media section will always say to presume competence, like just assume that, don't just assume that just because somebody can't communicate that it means that intellectually they're inferior or not capable, that just if you assume competence, then you will continue to teach people and find and look for other ways for them to communicate. And, And that's what happened with Noah. The letter board was like one of the last things that they tried when he was a teenager and he took to it and that was the method that worked. So just to keep going and and that extends, I guess, to all students is to presume competence um, that even if a student doesn't seem to be learning or succeeding in a certain environment or with a certain type of lesson to not just automatically assume that that they're not smart, I guess, for lack of a better term. There's always different ways to learn. So. That was the last thing I wanted to bring up. That was a big learning. That was a big learning point for me this year as I learned more from the non-speaking autistic community. Carolyn Kale, thank you so much for being on the Think Inclusive podcast. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Tim. Think Inclusive is written, edited, and sound designed by Tim Viegas and is a production of MCIE. Original music by Miles Kredich. If you enjoyed today's episode, here is one way that you can help our podcast grow. Become a patron and get access to ad-free episodes, behind-the-scenes posts, join our Together Letters group, get a sneak preview of MCIE's new podcast series, Inclusion Stories. Special thanks to our patrons, Melissa H., Sonia A., Pamela P., Mark C., Kathy B., Kathleen T., Jarrett T., Gabby M, Aaron P, Paula W, and Carol Q for their support of Think Inclusive. For more information about inclusive education or to learn how MCIE can partner with you in your school or district, visit mcie.org. Thank you for your time and attention. And remember, inclusion always works. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.